Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Alan Mead Experience. I'm your host, Alan Mead, dentist, podcaster, part-time, probably unprofessional, semi-professional horse feeder and poop scooper. Joining me today for the very first time on a dental podcast, uh, someone I've probably mentioned in other shows before, but it's a guy I've known for a really long time. I'd like to introduce this show, Dr. Bart Schultz. Bart, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Al. Thanks for having me. Okay, so for the listeners, Bart, uh, Bart's been my best friend out of dental school for a long time. Like, I, I've stayed in touch with a lot of my dental school friends, but I talk with Bart on the phone probably daily, maybe, maybe multiple mul- times, multiple a day. times a day. Definitely more than my more. I, I talk to you more than I talk to my wife on the phone for sure. And uh, my office literally calls him my boyfriend. Like when he calls my office line, they say your boyfriend's on the phone. So, um. Yeah, Bart and I, we kind of go way back. So how's everything? Bart's in St. Paul, Minnesota. How you doing, Bart? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's uh, slightly uh, chilly this morning. Is it really? Okay. Where is the global warming? <laughs> I'm sure that's all right. Give it a day. It'll, it'll be there. So so it's chilly in St. Paul. I And Bart lives probably, how many miles do you live from the dental school where we spent four long years of our lives? What do you think, about four miles or something? Four, four to five miles. Yeah. So he's sort of literally in the shadow of, of Moose Tower, where we uh, where we went to dental school. Still have nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> just occasionally. I. It's funny, too, because I think, didn't we just have, we had our uh, our 20-year reunion, like, was last night, I think. I believe it, I believe it was. Yeah. I did not attend. I know, I know. And it was probably, again, it was probably like two miles from your house, but yeah, I get it. I get it. I saw pictures. There were some people that we would recognize. They all look, frankly, you and I look fatter. Uh, I think. I think they, all the people that went, are all the people that still look pretty good. People like us that, that have gotten fatter and balder, probably stay away, kind of thing. Well, the great news about getting fatter is you will survive the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, no, and, that's good. And, and cancer. That's exactly. Right. I've, I've, pretty much. That's why I eat the way that I do, or at least that's the justification that I use. So. So Bart, welcome to the show. This has been something I've talked about getting you on a podcast for a long time. Um, Bart is the kind of guy, he's sort of the opposite of me in a lot of ways because I know a lot about a lot of things, but I never actually follow through with any of them. Bart uh, has knows been, a little about very things and follow throughs with, with all of it. Yeah. Bart, Bart does, well, shoot. Tell, okay. You do a lot of what most people would consider big cases. You do a, a, lo- a, a decent percentage of your practice is sedation-based. But tell us, you know, when did you start learning implants? I mean, you went and took, you went to the Mish Institute. Like, basically, you bought the Mish Institute. You went back so many times. You spent so much time in Michigan. And what what years would that have been? So I think I started going to Mish in 2000. Five. We graduated dental school in '97. Yeah. I practiced in Wisconsin in a small town, my hometown, for uh, a year, year and a half, and then I came to back to the cities and uh, and worked in an office uh, in the Oakdale Stillwater area, and learned a lot of things from this guy who's still my mentor and good friend. Um, 
and uh, continued to work at his practice uh, for, I don't know, 10, 11 years. But I think in 2005, I started to venture in to think about, I'd sent several patients to the oral surgeon uh, for uh, some consultations. Um, one of them was my mother. Um, but I had a patient who traveled. <laughs> your, your mom has your mom has literally been your project since dental school. If I remember. Yes, right. yeah, yeah. Like, she was she was a patient in dental school and experienced. I remember that. I remember those that. Uh, those uh, twelve hour appointments uh, with getting nothing accomplished. <laughs> well, no, that's not it's not quite true. It wasn't nothing. You did have you, you, like some papers were signed. I'm yeah. sure that I'm, I'm sure that. Great. Well, you know, for for younger dentists, they won't remember that we went to dental school and there was uh, attendance requirements. Exactly, uh, you actually you actually had to be there even if you didn't have a patient. Yeah, and uh, it, they only created attendance for us, uh, I think, for a two year span, basically our class, and uh, <laughs> we had to get green slips uh, yeah. uh, in in triplicate. Yep, signed, and I had a three ring folder uh, that I was saving for the the two years of clinical rotations of my attendance slips, uh, um, which of course was a a, a big fallacy. You know, I mean, in retrospect, I, I think about the stupid green sheets, and I was very lax about hanging on to them. In my mind, I figured, well, because it's in triplicate, they must have one of the forms. But, like, you know, you, you had, if you didn't have a patient, and for me, especially in junior year, that was, like, a lot of the time, right? I had nothing going on for a good portion of my junior year. I had people that were, like, finished with their requirements, and I hadn't done anything. But I, you'd think for someone who, who was at least, at the very least, I could prove that I had attendance. I was really lax about those stupid things. I mean, they were the kind of thing that, you know, they were at the bottom of my locker and stuff like that. I don't even remember. I, I can't believe I didn't take that a little bit more seriously. But it was a it was a joke. I mean, how many times can you go down to the oral radiology clinic, you know? And take, or, and take radiographs or assist in, what was the, what was the pre, the, the, the new patient examiner? What do we call that? It was um, a, well, OMD was oral medicine diagnosis. That was yes. the, that was the exam, and you had to have twenty OMD appointments to you know to to check that box. And I think I had like forty seven or something like that. I, I had a lot of <laughs> OMD. And the problem was you weren't you weren't necessarily that wasn't your patient. In other words, you would bring them through OMD, and then and then if you were lucky, you know, in two appointments worth, you could get into the treatment planning phase. But that but once the treatment planning was done. It wasn't your patient. It's not like you necessarily got to go do the work. Then it went into your your patient care group, and it got shuffled off that way. So, how, how about when you when you got through the treatment planning to do some amalgams, and you you uh, took them into operative? Hopefully, my goodness, my first day in operative, and uh, who was the composite bonding? Uh, Doctor Zidane. Zidane. Yeah. Uh, and then he decided that none of these were going to be amalgams. And in fact, you weren't going to do any of these. You were going to use fluoride treatments to evaluate them for two and a half years. Yeah. Great. There's, there's my, there's my operative patient. He's gone. Wonderful. <laughs> well, it's so funny too, because when you think about like the level of disease that we could have been seeing versus some of the Mickey Mouse stuff that we ended up doing. Just... Well, well certainly treating a patient for uh disease control and maybe not doing any restorations and watching or evaluating those makes some sense, but that should be again part of the protocol and requirements. But you know, I mean, yeah, they didn't seem like they didn't calibrate none of none of the doctors. They're calibrated against any of the other doctors. So, like, what was a crown for one doctor was was like you said a fluoride treatment for another one. And of course, you, there was so much politics. I remember you'd go in and it all depend like like what you did next depended on what instructor you were going to be working with. Like particularly in prosthodontics, when you know. It could go any different way. Like there were times when you would literally call your patient and tell them to not come because you were going to get one of these instructors. I did my last, uh, I did three bridges 
that's all I did. But that was the minimal requirement. And I think I did the last bridge the uh, three days before the, the term ended. But my, I did a bridge on a young gentleman that was I think it was 11, 12, 13 and 14. It was a gold bridge. And we we did a three quarter or seven yeah. eighths crown and number 11. And gold that was bridge. and I just need and truthfully, I think we did gold. It's probably a good material, but we did. I did gold because that was the requirement. Yeah, and it was. A, it was a horribly ugly, incorrect bridge. Yeah. He sh- and and so I, I look at that. If I was running the dental school, did you have to cast it? By the way, I did. I oh will. If, if, if the only way to get it done was for me to cast. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So so you're casting, and and yeah, we'd done some casting in preclinic and stuff like that. But you're casting three units of gold that you waxed mm-hmm. up. I mean, that's a lot of gold, by the way. That's like a. <laughs> That's like a brick of gold by the time they like the dude's head had to be like, you know, leaning to one side with that much just sheer metal in there. Cause they, well, they probably made you do a hygienic ponic too, right? Which was a big, yeah. like a centimeter tall hole underneath the thing or whatever. Oh, what a mess. Made, made room for the food to get packed in there. Exactly. Exactly. It was the lateral food packer. I love that. Oh, I remember that. What a mess. I, I, I had to stay longer than you did. I had to do a little summer term cause I didn't get done in time. It means you got a better education. You yeah. got you got more education. You know, it, it wasn't as bad as at the time. I remember I was I was mortified because like everyone else got to walk out and graduate, and I I had to stay. A few of us had to stay. It wasn't actually all that bad, anyhow. But uh, what a mess! <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that bridge is still in his head? That's the question. Well, I mean, a lot of that. Let's face the dentistry we do. Success and prognosis time has a lot to do with the the patient. Yeah, um, maybe. He's probably had it replaced because it was ugly. I will tell you, I do remember this patient. It wasn't your fault. It was the requirement. Well, yeah. I mean, he 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 did remove his orthodontic brackets himself, uh, <laughs> a pair of pliers, as he was done in ortho. Yeah. And uh, um, and I remember one of the things I did do as we were finishing the margins is polish some of the residual orthodontic uh, nice. cement, uh, the facial of number eleven. Nice. What? Oh, what? What teeth was it again? I think it's 11, 12, 11, 12, 13, and 14 is what I think it was. Okay, so with two ponics? I think so. Oh, my gosh. First off, two, that's a that's a huge, oh, my gosh. So you did like Well, it's, a, gold, it's gold. We should have just done one big pontic. It wouldn't have mattered. Well, yeah, it wasn't going to look any better with two. That's right. Oh, my gosh. And and he uh, did he want gold, or was it just because that was, oh, that just makes me sick. I think he probably was happy to get whatever was, was what I recommended, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure it was weighed to to recommend gold because I needed the requirements. As I was saying earlier, uh, um, I, if I was the omnipotent controller of dental school, um, I would have, uh, students work with the faculty practice and the graduate practices and assist treatment plan. Um, and maybe even anesthetize, but you'd be essentially associate to these, uh, clinical instructors. Um, and you could do some of the, the easier things and learn, because let's face it, I mean, preparing a tooth for a crown or a filling is, it just takes time and practice. It's muscle memory, man. It takes yeah, rest is the, what it takes. It's the, it's the interactions and relationships with the patients that you need to develop that we get no skills uh, going to dental school. Yeah, and let's be honest. Some of the, a lot of the instructors probably didn't have those either, really. True, speak true. Too, so that's interesting. It, but I mean, they, dental they, can't come, they can't come back at this time, listen to the podcast and take my degree away, can they? No, I'm pretty sure they can't. But they can ask for your green slips. I think you still have those. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I had a ceremonial uh, burning of that. <laughs> if you were smart, my... if you were smart, you did. Actually, you know what we did? We a bunch of us went up to my my grandparents' 
cottage in the in the UP, and we burned them in the fireplace, or we burned them in the. That we can't have though because we we're still in school. <laughs> we still needed them. The, the trip, the triplicate ink probably is a yeah. is a hazardous yeah, waste. Biohazard. It's probably got yes. mal- it's probably yeah. got amalgam in it more than likely. So that's that's just one of many uh, stories from dental school. I mean, I have to say when I first met you, because your last name starts with S and my last name starts with M, I didn't really have much to do with you for a long time. But I think the first, probably the first year or so, I I I was either passive towards you like i didn't know you or i i may have even had mild mild animosity towards you yeah Yeah, yeah. because you guys were on the other side and you guys were sort of sitting with the cool kids and all that stuff so i didn't i didn't it it didn't we didn't get to know each other till third year i don't even know why did we get to know each other i think it was uh eating lunch in sustanza Sustanza, uh, the, sorry. <laughs> the, the 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 restaurant in the basement yeah uh which was the italian restaurant yeah which was Pizza you know, it's kind of, it's kind of un, unfair to do that to the the professional students at the University of Minnesota because you know basically if you don't bring your lunch or you don't want to go off somewhere, you had choices of Italian, Italian, or Italian because that's what it was. It was apparently that they did their market research and we were really into Italian or something. Well, you could go down the hall to uh, uh, the Phillips Wangstein building and get a good bad hamburger yeah. at the cafeteria, <laughs> yeah. or, or or you could remember for breakfast you could get a Jimmy McNickman. <laughs> or that was that, that, that egg sandwich. You know, I saw a picture of Jim Nickman. He's lost a lot of weight. He's definitely not eating those egg He's sandwiches anymore. Eggs, he, no, he looks he looks really good. He was, Maybe the egg, not the not, not the, the muffin. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or you could do like me, which was basically nine days out of ten, I would go and get whatever the lunch special was at the Village Walk, which was like mm-hmm. four dollars mm-hmm. for for lunch and a drink, and it was. And you could you could Red. bring it back. You need you need a wheelbarrow to bring it back. It was so much food. So what a beautiful Best. thing. Rest in peace. Yeah, Village. rest in peace, Village Walk. I think we and and that. and and Big Ten. Yeah, Big Ten's gone. I know. Progress. It is progress. I'm I'm sure by now there's like a, a high rise there, filled, they, filled with filled with students paying lots of money for apartments, more than likely. I'm sh- I'm sure. Couldn't they tear down the dental school and make progress there? I know. I know. The dental school still has that '70s thing going for it. The the, the Russian the yeah. Russian architect. It does. It's a brutalist structure. All squares. I remember the best. The best thing ever was one guy came to one of the Sio um, Halloween parties dressed as Moose Tower, and he just wore a bunch of cardboard boxes stuck together because it's pretty. <laughs> and it was a, that's it was fantastic. A image. Like you definitely knew what he was going as. It was the greatest thing ever. I think. I what think if you get up close? Not only is it square and and cold, but it's also like projections of of pebbles and rocks. It is. That are it pointy. is. It's, it's like the 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 outer surface is is like is like. I don't even know how to describe it. It's rock. They use the they use the same design in Chernobyl, I believe. I think that, I think they did too. There's probably a reactor in there somewhere that could melt down. I don't know. I I was always impressed. Like when when I went for my interview at the University of Minnesota, um, they took us. Remember, they took you to the 16th floor. That's where they mm-hmm. had like their the admissions office or whatever. And and there was the you could see the Metrodome from up there. And it was like it was this kind of cool city view. I'm pretty sure they did it on pur- purpose because basically. The rest of the time that I spent in that building, you know, was fourth floor, fourth floor during you know, the first two years. And there was no kind of you and you weren't you were so busy or so beat down. You weren't looking out the windows anyhow. So, so the king, the king lived up high in the clouds and yeah. the fiefdom, the, the minions <laughs> lived down in the sewer. It is so true. It's so true. I mean, that, that, that's whole how society operates where you have the beautiful view and all these things. Now, I will tell you, I've I've uh, been to Tufts University in uh, Boston. Um, and were, were they like their students? <laughs> well, 
they do, but it's, I think it's $90,000 a year. So, uh, I think because it's more expensive, they like them, but boy, the views at that school were amazing. Is that right? But, but I think things have changed in the dental school aspect. Um, I think social media, which I kind of dislike, but social media and cell phones and video recording and podcasts have changed things. Cause I think, um, if you don't treat people well, um, or, lie to them about their attendance being counted towards their graduation requirements. Yeah. I think things are recorded and I think that, uh, um, they are going to have, uh, to deal with those problems later on. I have run into that, to be honest, in talking with dental students and actually I I've spoken a couple of times at the university of Detroit and I got the tour of the university of Detroit. First off, university of Detroit is like Tufts. It's really, really expensive. It's really expensive. Um, it's, in the middle of in, in the University of Detroit's kind of in the hood. It's in a really tough part of town. Um, sort of scary. But you go in there and the facility is just really nice. It's basically they took they took over an old hospital and kind of remodeled it. It's amazing. And I have to tell you, the students were all happy and jovial and seemed to be enjoying themselves. So I was out of my I was out of sorts when I was there. I just it just didn't seem right to me. And and so maybe you and I might be one of the last classes that where where hazing was like the the order of the day. I don't know. And I don't know that they felt like it was hazing. And there are some people that came out without the trauma that I did. So, I mean, like, it's probably more my reaction to it. But still, I don't feel like dental school is quite the same now as it used to be, maybe. Maybe, that's, maybe that just means I'm an old guy and it's been 20 years since we were in dental school. But I, I think that... Their strategies change, but they sure do extract more money out of them now. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's 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 certainly more ex, more expensive. I'm not sure that it's uh, even even affordable. I'm not I'm not sure even with all the student loans. I think that you can physically pay that off. Yeah, I mean, um, I th- yeah, I think you can eventually, but the lifestyle the <laughs> lifestyle is going to take a hit. I think to some extent. The other thing, I think sometimes maybe the what people are going to how do how does someone who owes that much money learned a treatment plan. You know, how, how does, I, I don't know that that's, that's the, well, is there, is, the I think, I think what you're asking is there, is there a conflict of you yeah. generating revenue for yourself to maybe what's best for the patient? And, and, and I would say that that is certainly very I think, plausible. Yeah. I think there's something to be said there. I don't think you can point fingers at specific people with that, but I do think that there's, it's something to think about anyhow. So I, so we, we got to know each other third year and we were, we were pretty tight from there on out. Now, we went on spring break third year. Was it third year? that we, Yeah. We, I, it, was uh, it our senior year? I can't remember. It, it must have been our third it year. It had spring. to have been third year because yeah. I don't think, yeah, our senior year we're getting too close. Senior year we're getting too close to being done. So we drove from Minnesota to um, <laughs> Moab, Utah. Moab, Utah. We, we, were, we were backpacking in the Canyonlands. With a with a slight delay in Adair, yeah, Iowa. Yeah, exactly. The first day we made it to Adair, Iowa, and, and there was a, we're taking your what kind of car was it? It was like a it was a Pontiac uh, Pontiac Grand Am. It's a Grand Am. Yep, it was actually a decent car. Mm-hmm. But something happened. I can't remember exactly what happened. I think you were driving and you and you you pulled off. I think we were going to get some. I'm not. I'm not sure you pulled off. I because I, I think they had to pick us up on the highway. I can't remember that, or maybe we pulled off because we, we were losing power or something. I don't. I don't know. And you're like, what is that winding noise? And yeah, and it was the the alternator. I think had exploded or something it was something so, so, so we had to give a a tow to a a town yeah it had a wonderful fish fry if i remember it was the fish fry is like the main thing what i remember was that we got there they were they were really nice like i think we might have explained that we were on our way to spring break 
out, you know, out in Utah. And they were really nice. Like they could have just blown us off and said, well, we'll get to this when we get to this. I, what I remember is that it's a Friday night. Yeah. I think that that guy drove the next morning. Well, there was someone he, he was, he, they wanted to make sure they could get a part on the truck from Grand Junction that night kind of thing. I don't think he had, or someone was going to Grand Junction and they wanted to make sure that the part was in Grand Junction. So it was, it was a, it was a haul. They bent over backwards for us, what it came down yes. to. I remember that we stayed we stayed in a hotel in Adair, Iowa. We did go to there was a fish fry, so it had to have been like it was like Friday night, I'm sure. And um, you and I had I think literally until the next morning, we really didn't know if we were going to get out of there the next day or not. We weren't sure. We were hopeful that we'd get out of there, but so we lost. What I remember is we lost. We, we were going to take two days to get out there, but we lost a lot of our first day because Adair wasn't that far out of the Twin Cities, right? No, yeah, I think I think it was. Near Omaha, I think it's outside Omaha. Yeah, but yeah. I think from Omaha to Moab, we did in one setting. I think we I didn't, think that's we, what we did. We decided we were going to push through, and that was the crazy thing because we had to go through. Uh, we had to go through Colorado, the Eisenhower Tunnel. Yeah. We went in. And it, was not, it was like it was just what I remember is it was dark. God, I, it was it was the daylight was just kind of getting over with. So it must have been yeah, you know, five, six, eight o'clock. It was nice weather. You were driving. You came out of the Eisenhower Tunnel, and it was, it was a blizzard. It was a snowy hell. It was dark. Like no one was moving. It was like feet of snow on the ground, and I sort of remember us like surviving it and going, "Man, we really should have stopped. We probably could have died there." I sort of remember just vaguely that. Is that what it is? The Eisenhower Tunnel. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then I and then we drove into, you know, numerous hours later switching drivers into Moab and got our hotel and went to bed. And I think as we drove into Moab at like two o'clock in the morning thinking, where are all the mountains? Where's yeah, it's because it was dark. It was pitch black. There's nothing there until the morning. Then, okay, so, so the, the tunnel, the tunnel is, okay, 60 miles west of Denver. Let me just see how long the tunnel is. Are you, Goog- are you Googling? I, I, I just Googled it, yeah. Okay, so it doesn't say how long it is. It's, it's okay, Eisenhower. Dual bore, four lane vehicular tunnel, approximately sixty miles west of Denver. I just okay, it's, okay, so it's it's uh, it's one point six. It's only one point seven miles long, so it's not it's not that. It's, I mean, one and a half miles. It's a long ways to go through a mountain, but I do remember it like you're on the other side of the mountain is is like this snowy hell is what I remember, and I, I literally remember like like there were semi trucks pulled off to the side, like right out of where we came out of the tunnel, and we sort of busted out of it. Like, oh my gosh, that was crazy. <laughs> And, and of course, we're flatlanders. This is this is like normal for people in Colorado, and we decided to to push through. It was just nuts. Yeah. So the I, I'm I'm googling it also. That's right. There's a ski hill on top of the Eisenhower Tunnel. Yeah, it makes sense. So they were probably enjoying it for the skiing. Anyway. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we made it. We did make it to Moab, and and like it was like you said, it was two o'clock in the morning. We couldn't see the mountains because it was so dark. We got up, and they were like the they were the different kind of mountains. They were sort of those canyony looking mountains. Sort of red rock kind of mountains, and I want to say, didn't we go that day? Didn't we start hiking that day? I think we had to get some supplies and provisions. Uh, Seventy-two pounds of gorp that you made up. <laughs> it's true. We we both we both had been we both had been we had no money to speak of, but but somehow we were able to drop three hundred dollars on these incredibly big. Really nice mountain smith Mount, backpacks, 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 which which I still largest have. Largest backpack 
backpacks ever created. It was like 7,800 square cubic inches or whatever, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're backpacking, it's like a whole other person. And we decided we had to fill the whole damn thing with stuff. And so it was a, it was a heavy pack. It was There's way more stuff than you'd want to be carrying. But the other thing we didn't really realize about Moab is it's desert. And you're from Wisconsin and I'm from Michigan. We like there's literally no place, you know, within 25 feet of us that doesn't have water like everywhere. But we're going into the desert and people are talking about we need to be serious about our water. We have to really make, make sure we, we know what we're doing for water. And we really didn't know what we were doing for water. Well, as, as we planned the trip, you know, the the guides out in Moab kind of said it could be the time of year we're coming. It was going to be cold or it could be warm. There might be snowpack in areas that you can filter water. But you know, I, I'm a, I'm a overpacker Boy Scout, so I always pack too much stuff. Mm-hmm. And having a big backpack made that Easy. easier to, oh, do, yeah. to do. Oh yeah, and uh, and clearly we had great weather. You have to agree that the weather was yeah. Beautiful. You know, I don't remember the weather being. It was cool. It was cold at night, but I mean, yeah, it was just because it was cold at night. You know, and so we, what well, we the first day, <laughs> the first day out, we only had the first day out. We really did not know what we were getting into, like. The first About day a out three, was a three mile hike. I think, yeah. I think, I think we left the trailhead, uh, at around, we got to the trailhead, I think three parked our it was, car. It was the and, afternoon. We, we knew we were going to hike yeah. in the first, the first leg was just a light one in the afternoon. We, we camped kind of at a rim. I remember uh, that three miles in, yep. uh, had a nice little dinner, um, <laughs> sunset and, and, and I, I diagnosed, remember, I diagnosed you with sleep apnea that sleep night. Sleep apnea. So here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, well, okay, so here, here's the story. Bart and I—I I don't think we'd probably ever camped together before. And but what I knew, what I okay, so we had a, we had a decent tent. We both had decent, you know, ba- uh, sleeping bags. We weren't cold or anything like that. But Bart, Bart fell asleep really fast. Like he was out like a light. And, I can I can usually sleep anywhere, standing up, lying down. Yeah, yeah. Well, in in dental school lecture. Yeah, that part's for sure. Absolutely. Usually had a newspaper in front of you, but. Um, so Bart fell right asleep and he started sawing logs, like literally super loud. He snored super loud. And, and I, I, I purr, I purr, <laughs> <I> purr. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sort of a nice way to put it, I think. But so you crashed out and, uh, I was, I couldn't sleep. You were so loud. And, and the other thing is, I think maybe you were more comfortable with the whole camping thing. I, as much as I talked a good game for backpacking, I'm, I, I'm a bit, I was a little bit softer when it came to camping. So I think any noise outside would kind of get under my skin. But after a while, I realized I wasn't going to be able to sleep because you were snoring so loud. So, so I, <laughs> I had a really, um, I took, I took, uh, I think two Benadryl and some water and I, I took it and then I waited for about 25 minutes. And then I, <laughs> when I could start to feel it kind of pulling me down where I knew I was going to be, I, was gonna be I woke you up so I could race you back to sleep so I could actually get to sleep <laughs> without you snoring. So I drugged myself up and just when I started to feel the drugs kick in, then I, then I woke you up. So, so, and I, and then I remember sleeping after that. So that was, that was the first night. And, um, I think we thought that the rest of it was going to be a cakewalk like that, that it was going to be no problem. Just, just, a, you know, just a little walk in the park. So, so, well, the next day was, and, and I will take a lot of the blame because I think I had planned uh, with with these guides most of this. Um, I think you allowed me to kind of plan the trailheads and where we would hike. And uh, they tried to it, talk us. They tried to talk us out of hiking as far as we were going to hike that. Because here's the thing: you and I are both, like I said, Wisconsin and Michigan. We are flatlanders. In reading reading a topographical map 
for a Flatlander, it doesn't. It isn't as dramatic looking as it would be if we had three dimensions to look at because mm-hmm. we were looking at like like a horizontal hike and we're like we could do we could do eight miles in a day no problem you know but but it's like so so the day was 9.6 that's that's what (laughs) we had to do 10 miles almost 10 miles and with elevation changes of easily 100 to 300 feet every Every quarter mile bit yeah just up up and down down, up and down and down i mean and you're you're out in basically with the the 72 pounds of warp the Canyonlands was basically like hiking along the Grand Canyon, except not such a huge fall in all these places. But the bottom line is, like, it was rugged hiking. It was really rugged hiking. And there there were places where you were on a ledge, like you were kind of on a ledge, or there were places where there was only a little small place for you to get through. You know, like, it was kind of a constricted opening. The trail went through this little hole in the rock or whatever. And so you had to, like, what I remember is it, it was, like, too small of a hole for us and our pack. We had to kind of like push our packs ahead or drag them behind or, or put it. I just remember a lot of, and this was just the first day. And like, we realized well into the first day, we'd only gone about three miles. We're like, we're never going to make it. There's no way we're going to make it to, to our, our campsite. The trailhead was marked by those uh, rocks stacked upon I each other. What they call those. Are they called Car- car- carry-ons, I Karens or something. Karens, exactly. yeah. Something like that. And, and one of those, the Karens disappeared and, and <laughs> I remember. Like, where, where, where they go and you could hear voices mm-hmm. and you kind of peered around the rock and there was a, there was a tunnel, a natural, uh, cave that you had to, it wasn't much your, of a tunnel. If I yeah, remember you had to put your backpacks over your head and kind of scour through this, this traverse through this. And in fact, we couldn't go until that other group came out and uh, that wasn't so bad, but we came to a point where we had to jump, there was a, there was like a crack in the there was, crack. There was essentially you were it was a narrow like gap in the trail and you could basically in this gap you looked down and it went down for hundreds of feet kind of thing. You really it, it was really too small that you could fall through it but but maybe but maybe like if so were, we took our packs off and and started rigging rope yeah. to try to get the backpacks over. Oh, I remember that. And oh. as as you and I were doing that, I remember this girl who was like 100 pounds with as big a backpack as we had. Oh, yeah. Oh, comes yeah. skipping up the trail. Like nothing. And hopped over it. Mm-hmm. And, and looks at us like. Like we're insane. Yes, Sally's. Yeah. And uh, so that that's certainly toughened us up. That's probably noonish. Yeah. And uh, so. It was only a couple hours before Bart started taking more chances than he should. He had a, he had a strategy. The sooner I break my leg, the sooner you have to go get someone to get me out. <laughs> There was a point where we had a break. I think we had, I think we had lunch or maybe afternoon snack, gorp, and uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you looked at me funny and you're like, you look, you look frustrated. And I said, you know, if there was a garbage can here, <laughs> I would throw this backpack in the garbage and, and I would, I would out. I would go. I would find our car and go. Um, I think we got to camp. It's like nine uh, at night. It was it was dark? Um, we didn't have any water at this point. Oh yeah. So we, we so, we, so uh, we we were really hungry. Um, there was no more water. We'd used it up. We well, this, just this is the we, best. We, We'd we, found a puddle about a mile back, like or, or I don't not even a mile back from one of these last. It was one of these last climbs we had to make until we were getting close to the campsite, and we found a puddle. We went back to it. Actually, yeah, we went back thinking we could do this puddle because there was probably you know it was probably a there was a little bit of water there when we got there. 
um, there, a guy there was had, a dog. Yeah, a guy had his dog. Which, by the way, dogs at the time, and maybe they still are, but dogs are illegal in national parks. You're not supposed to have dogs in national parks. Maybe you can have them there now. But this dog drank all our water. <laughs> we we were already filtered this puddle, so we were going to be able to you know make our our dehydrated dinners with it. And and the dog drank all our water. Oh my gosh, I remember. I remember. Uh, you know, I think we, I think we did, we got to camp a little earlier than I remember because we, we had to go back for water is what I remember. Like, yeah, it, but I, you know, I don't, maybe, but we didn't eat any well, no, food no, no, that we night. Get, no, no, we got, that's exactly right. We got into camp at about nine and we didn't eat anything because we were so tired. Like we basically, I'm sure, well, we probably ate gorp. <laughs> you, you, we, we, you, we, we pitched the tent got into our sleeping bags and I'm not sure you needed any Benadryl. No, I think I think that night Benadryl was unnecessary. That's right. So it, it was the it, next it, morning that we were going to go back because we were going to have <laughs> You remember we woke up and I'm going to have my eggs, I, I'm going to have my turkey anything. dinner. We had so we were gonna, we were going to catch up. We were going to eat, you know, like like 3 days worth of of dehydrated meals because we were so hungry and we hadn't eaten anything. But we had to get some water so we could cook it. I remember this. I remember this cuz I want to say we might have even planned for a day that we weren't going to hike or we were only going to hike half the day or I don't even remember exactly. Maybe we planned a day trip or something like I that. Be- I believe you're right. I think we were going to stay that 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 campsite was in Elephant it wasn't Elephant Ears, but there's a there's a place in the Canyonlands that starts with an elephant. Uh, and it and it's supposed to appear like the trunks of elephants. Elephant Hill. Elephant Hill is what it says right here. Okay, that's that's where we were, and we were going to spend a couple days there. And we were going to we going to day hike off of this this campsite, if I remember correctly, down to the Colorado River. Sorry, it's not a horrible clinical failure nightmare; it's a teaching case. I love that. I accidentally tripped one of my sound <laughs> effects. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> I, I could decide whether I'm going to keep that in or cut it out. I might just leave it in because because that's uh, that's what li- that's what live podcasting is all about. Yeah, friends. yeah. So I'm looking on the website, the, the four-wheel drive roads in the needles. So the Elephant Hill is, is but I, I think you're right. I think the campsite was was Elephant something. That's right. Well, the next day of hiking was, you're right, I think it was day hiking. We weren't going to leave other than, you know, we we're going to stay in the same campsite. But I think the next day that we were going to leave was a 12 or 15 mile hike. <laughs> well, yeah, we, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That was are the planned amount of and we had the day that we were going to day hike we decided we were just going to hike back to where we knew there was some water we went and filtered water and i do remember that like that was that was yeah, we left we, our, we left our packs we left our packs and our tent and everything in camp yeah i think we hiked back 3 or 4 miles cuz I, I remember I, I we had to go right. up that ladder yes get to water yes so we got to water we we and we we filtered as much as we thought we could get away with and then i think we got back and i think that's when we had the conversation after after gorging, yeah, we did gorge, gorging we, ourselves with lots of food with with lots of dehydrated food. Basically, all the water that we filtered, we cooked this food in. And it's really it's not that good, but when you're that hungry, it, it really hit the spot. So, and then we we uh, I think I think that's when you know we're sitting in there, we'd eaten, and we're just thinking to ourselves, "Geez, what have we gotten ourselves into?" But neither one of us wanted to admit it to each other. I certainly, I certainly don't want to be the first to quit. Exactly, I don't. But I'm a quitter. I, I have no problem quitting, but I don't want to be the first one to quit. Exactly. So both of us, I think both of us were thinking it, but neither one of us was going to say anything. And then, what was the line? I think, I, I think I delivered the line. You said, I, I think this is this is accurate. I think you said, you know, this isn't boot camp. Yeah, it, it's you know, vacation. This isn't, this isn't boot camp. 
We don't have to do this. <laughs> and within milliseconds, I was I was crawling. Bart had the tent. He, he had the tent taken down. I I remember that vividly. He had the tent taken down. And uh, <laughs> you could have just making been making conversation. I took it literally that it was time to go home. <laughs> Does that mean I get to leave? I mean, I think I think you know probably the the decision we were trying to make is: do we just leave all this shit here, or can we can we should we pack it up and bring it with us? Because I th- I think it crossed our minds that maybe. I mean that way that much faster. And then the best part is, is you know, I don't know that we had an escape route, right? Because we were kind of in our. You'd hike. have to go so, back the the ten nine point six. Actually, the three yeah, point no, yeah, miles. Yeah, it's it like twelve miles now or whatever to or, go to go backwards or, or to go forward. It's like thirty. Yeah, and if we so, were going to follow the route that we were taking to the, and it was we're talking to get to our car because there are different parking areas. So then so what happened? De- you devised or I devised a plan where we would go out to this main road. Mm-hmm. You had your GPS and you're a geocache yeah. expert. Yeah. Uh, we would I, At the time I backpacks. wasn't, but, but we did the best we could. We, we were going to put a way mark where our backpacks were stashed behind some cactus or something. And so then, we could and move faster when we were. Roads, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think we had actually planned that if we leave now, we will be at the car like 2 a.m. Yep. But that's okay because we can get we'll, to the hotel. We'll sleep, yeah. We'll, or we'll sleep at the car, go get our suit. I mean, honestly, we we were. What I remember was the backpacks were relatively optional. If we lost them, we lost them. You know, a, <laughs> it's just corp. <laughs> so then we we started on our way. We packed it up, and I think there was we were both relatively elated that we weren't at least going to have to go through with what we what we were trying to do. And then what happened? We. We ran into a stranger, maybe even a serial killer. For all we know. Yeah. Uh, and and we, I'm not sure how we befriended him or he befriended us. Um, we must have looked really pathetic is what I'm thinking. We must but he have. was day hiking and we kind of explained the situation and he was, he was eager, anxious to give us a ride from his car to our car. <laughs> and of course, sure, why not? What could this... What could possibly happen? Yeah, yeah, what could exactly. happen here? And uh, what I remember was you and he hiked a little faster than I did, because because you were damn sure not going to let him out of your sight. I I kind of think I felt as that after his initial volunteerism to help us, he maybe regretted it because maybe he thought we were serial killers. Yeah. Um. And or you know, he maybe he thought it, we were as pathetic as we actually were. Yeah, and he he kept up a steady pace, and I figured, you know, if he gets to the car without us, he's probably going to just leave but yeah. <laughs> i'm going to stay with him that's right bart was going to save my life because you can't you can't leave us here now oh my gosh that was crazy and that i don't remember the car ride but the car ride was a, a long distance too it was it was longer like what i remember was like wow we were a lot further out than we thought we were like, so i think this i think the endeavor of after filtering water having our breakfast lunch and getting packed up that's around 11 or 12 mm-hmm. one o'clock mm-hmm I remember getting to the car and driving out of the canyon lands and it is dark. Yeah. So that whole ordeal of getting out of the canyon lands took yeah. numerous hours. Yeah. Except I remember I remember uh I remember like not getting out. We we got a hotel room. We got a hotel room. Back I think we stayed at the same hotel that we stayed in I the think, first night. I, I, I don't so remember too. anything about that hotel, but I do remember that we we <laughs> slept for like two days. Yeah, we- <laughs> We slept a long time. I remember there was pizza. We got pizza. There was pizza. Multiple times. There was a pool. We sat in the pool every once in a while. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't that, I don't remember us and I think like we must have gone for a day like looking at Moab or whatever, but I think we I think we came home early too. That's sort of a Bart thing. Coming home early from trips is kind of a Bart thing anyhow, but I do think we came home earlier. We thought, well, maybe we'll get a day or two back back in Minneapolis because we you know, we already had screwed this trip up bad enough. So I don't think we stayed all that long. I can't remember. But oh it was still God. it was still a, a great time. And in fact we we tell this story to people Frequently. Yeah. I mean, and, and some people might not tell these these stories because it's, yeah, you're weak, you're, it's embarrassing, whatever. <laughs> you, you planned horribly and you don't know what you're doing exactly. This is life. Yeah. This is a little bit about dentistry, too. I mean, uh, if you think about, uh, I'm going to fill this tooth at 21 millimeters or I'm going to place this implant, um, and time will tell how things hold up and last. Um, and we as dentists, I, I don't know that we're all this way, but I think a lot of us think we're perfectionists or striving for excellence, but let's face it, we're human. Um, and there's a whole human avenue of the things that go on in life. And you try your best to be a parent. You try your best to be a dentist, to be a backpacker, to be a horse feeder. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny too, because I, I'm looking back, I'm like, that, that's not even the first time that I had to be rescued out of backpacking from a, a national park. I when I got out, when I got out of college before I ever knew you, we had to be rescued out of the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, so maybe it's me actually. <laughs> maybe it's more me than anything else. But um, it was, I mean, yeah, it's the the idea that you know I'd love to have a backpacking trip that we could look back on that went perfectly and that we were absolute backpacking studs. On the other hand, the comic relief we've gotten out of telling the story that story would be super boring. The one that we were really great and everything was perfect and we had an amazing time. That would be a much more boring story than the one where we spent two days in a hotel where we slept the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's neat to see people's photos of their trips and things like that. But if you think about it, most of the things that people want to show you of their successes, eh, no thank you. I know. I, you learned, unfortunately, with dentistry, you learn much more from, from the... The horrible nightmares that, you know, the, the cases that you start and you just like you get really hung up on or whatever, you know, and, and unfortunately you see that a lot in our Facebook group where, I mean, it's cool to see the really good stuff, but it's it's really helpful to see the stuff where it goes really bad, you know. Well, I call the, you know, what is it, my philosophy, you know, whatever anyone tells you unless they show you your tax statements is 60% bullshit. Yeah. And I think if At it's least. a dentist telling you, it's maybe eighty or ninety percent. Yeah, no, it's true. That's true. That's why. That's I, why photography is such a big deal. Yeah, I don't know. Well, listen. Uh, now, this is the first time Bart's ever been on the podcast, and we've already been going for for close to forty five minutes. This ended up being a uh, Utah trip redux, but I'm, I'm hoping to have you on the show as kind of a regular because you and I have a lot of really decent philosophical talks about uh, about dentistry about about big case versus small case, about insurance, about sedation, about just about it, about crazy people. Like Bart is, I'm convinced that Bart is like a magnet and, and he, he actually att attracts crazy people to his office. I'm pretty sure of that. I don't have the proof, but I'm pretty sure of it. That's something we definitely should talk about. But, uh, I think, I think your first, your first trip into, uh, the podcasting land was really good. And, uh, we've, pretty much run out of time here for a 45 minute podcast you were fantastic so uh hey hey thanks for having me this this was a lot of fun yeah well no we'll do it again very soon and we can talk a little bit more dentistry but bart thank you so much for being on the alan mead experience and we'll catch up with you again soon take care if you have questions or comments please email me at alan at 
the Alan Mead Experience. And thank you for listening. Thank you.